man, it is uh, it's so good to have you here and uh, just selfishly as a friend, but also as a pastor, I'm super pumped for our students to get to know you and and uh, and all that. Um, so, man, I've known you for a lot of years at this point. Uh, you've, you mentored me, discipled me, taught me a lot of uh, what everything I do in ministry is a lot based on uh, how you led me. And so I'd love for our college students to get to know you. Um, so let them know who, who, who is Alan Briggs. Tell us more about what you do, what you're passionate about. Man, before I do guys, David is one of the best human beings on the planet. I love this guy and you guys just have an honor. And Oh, oh, there it is. They're cheering. Let's give D house a hand. Come on. <laughs> did, I did love it. D house. D, D house. Sorry. So Zach Mirkreebs uh, spoke on Thursday and, and people didn't know people call me D house and he brought it up in synergy. And so a lot of people have been like D housing me all day. And so it's really funny that you brought it up too. Uh, you guys but, got D housed again. So this guy right here, whatever you want to call him, uh, seriously, you guys have just a great joy to be led uh, by this guy and is, is one of the best. And I've known him, uh, I think since sophomore year of college. Is that right, David? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, freshman year. Freshman year. Yeah. Freshman year. And so it's not lost on me that God shaped me in the college years so much and God has shaped David so much in the college years. Um, and so it's just an honor to be with you guys today. And, um, and I'll share some of why I think college had an inordinate impact on me. But really, in terms of who I am, adventurer at the core. Uh, life has been a crazy adventure for me and my family. And um, I love climbing mountains. I actually was able to spend some time after college in Antarctica. Uh, long story for another day, but um, spent some time in New Zealand hitchhiking. Um, climb some world-class peaks. I've always loved rock climbing, taking people out in the wilderness. Just a few days ago, actually hosted a coaching intensive and was on top of a snowy peak, about 10 degrees, 12 and a half thousand, 13,000 feet here in Colorado. And that's what I get to do um, now. And that adventure led my wife and I to adoption as well. Um, again, another crazy story for another day. Hopefully I'll, I'll be with you guys at some point over a cup of coffee and I can share longer. But the greatest adventures of my life have not been on mountains and have not been in canyons or climbing things. They've actually been following God into our next step. Um, and so if we kind of trace adoption back, uh, I would have been 21 years old. I would have been fall of my junior year of college when my daughter was born halfway across the world. Um, and so just let that settle on you. And the adventure that God already had for me ahead of time um, that he sort of let me know about later on. I uh, have an amazing wife and actually kind of our, our most recent adventure uh, has been caring for our friend who was released from prison after 22 years. And um, he and now his fiance um, have moved in with our family and we are caring for them, helping them get to their next season of life uh, and actually going to be part of their wedding uh, here next month. And so it just seems like we keep following this adventure one step at a time of what life in Christ looks like. And it's wild. I'm looking out the mountains right now uh, in Colorado, and that's sort of a backdrop of what um, life in Christ has looked like to us. And um, yeah, I'm just excited to kind of open my life to you guys and the idea of a feast. Uh, this is exciting for me to, to kind of get to share some of my heart on the why behind a lot of things that we do. And uh, I have four kids right now, age seven to 17. Uh, and so we are in it to win it at our household. It is no joke. It's chaotic crazy, loud, amazing. And we have people always in and out of our home. So that's a little bit of who we are and the 
the great adventure that God has designed for us. Yeah, I, I think adventure is a is a great descriptor. Uh, a lot of a lot of my stories you'll hear in sermons. If there was something insane that happened, is probably because Alan made me do it. Um, so, and uh, let's let's be real. You could have died on that mountain that day, yeah, that snowy awesome. mountain. Yeah. But when he, yeah, he was in a little fetal ball. I'll just say that, and then we were <laughs> able to get him down off the mountain. He did not die. Just spoiler alert. He's still alive, and I'll take a little bit of credit for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, you mentioned today, Alan, our, our theme is feast, and I know you're someone who takes great pride in good food. Like, uh, you're not a drive through McDonald's kind of guy. Like, you care deeply about food. So uh, what's on the table for Alan, Bur- Alan Briggs' dream feast? Like, what are we eating if you're, uh, if you're, if you're planning the menu? Yeah, let me give you two stories. One of them is last night, had guys over. Uh, around my fire pit, guys have um, taken on a lot of pain this year, especially pastors, leaders have taken on way more pain than we realize. And so I just had some guys over to care for them last night, um, bring your own meat. And so had the, you know, coals, about three hours of coals waiting uh, and had all kinds of different vegetables right over the fire. And we were out there in the freezing cold, probably 25 degrees last night around the fire. And we just sat and we talked for hours. And uh, at some point I had to kick them out. It was time to head to bed and we were probably being too loud for the neighbors. And so to me, um, that's, that's a feast for me that always leads to relationship. It's never about the food. Um, but let me take you back two weeks to a feast um, that we kind of deviously plan without leaders knowing this. Um, we uh, take these trips, we call them replenishing experiences. We go all over the country, we gather amazing leaders to do amazing things. And what they don't know is that the apex is actually an eight course meal at the end. Well, why eight courses? Because no human needs eight courses. Let's just be real. And it is ridiculous. That is the goal for it to be so ridiculous. You're so packed at the end of the night. We sort of like roll leaders into bed because they're so stuffed and it takes about four and a half hours. And so we plan for this the whole time. It's coursed each one. It's conversation. We have a mentor at the table. My mentor at 71 years old there. It's an unbelievable night, but they don't know. So we go to Top Golf first. I kind of have to get them out of the house like they're little kids. And so my partner in crime plans this time. And he's every little bit of this is coursed and it's intentional. We go to Top Golf and I say, no hamburgers for you guys, no fries, no chicken tenders. Do not eat or drink anything because we tonight are going to have a big meal. That's all they know. And they come back to this. I'm not kidding you guys. Four and a half hours later, they sort of emerge from a trance. And it was an unbelievable time. And we've done this to groups of leaders across the country. And they sort of get lost in conversation. There are tears and there are deep belly laughs. And just these guys that didn't know each other very well a few days before leave. And we had this happen two years ago. A guy said, guys, I just want to stop this. And I just want to share, this is the best meal I've had my whole life. And we're like, wow, first of all, that's a moment. Just take that in. Secondly, no one tell his wife that, okay? Like that's <laughs> here at this table. It's a beautiful night. We're outside and uh, there's plenty to go around. If somebody says, hey, I want a ninth course, of course, we'll do that. Uh, for you. But the intention that goes into a feast, David, like there's nothing like it. And I believe if we don't live our lives intentionally, guys, then you accidentally end up at the Burger King drive through in life. You don't accidentally end up at a feast. It is full of intention. Every little bit of that we planned for weeks. And, and the fact that they felt so cared for through that meal, that's what we're talking about, is to live with that kind of intention. So I love 
this theme of a feast that you guys are getting to partake in today. Yeah, so good. I think um, as, as our team was getting together to plan this event um, and we were wrestling through different themes, um, we just kept coming back to this, this fact that the, there are so many food analogies and metaphors throughout scripture. I mean, you can pick and choose uh, from a million of them. Our, our main speaker referenced a lot of it, even in the gospel story of how Jesus used food. Um, and, uh, and so it's really interesting, this idea of like understanding a spiritual need through a physical need. Uh, but one of those, uh, one of those verses we came down to was Matthew five, six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Um, now, Alan, you've worked with college students in a lot of settings over the years. Um, what do you think it looks like for a college student to hunger and thirst for righteousness? What does that practically look like? Yeah, man. Great question. First of all, guys, only the hungry change, period. I'm in the change business. I'm a leadership coach. Some of the people I work with are deciding between jobs that aren't even tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, these decisions. But the reality is they've invited me into their life. Only the hungry change. And the older my kids get, I realize I can't actually force them to change. And that's the beauty, guys, is that Jesus let this guy, this rich young ruler walk away because he didn't want it enough. Life goes to the hungry. I don't care how old you are. And I've seen people who are 21 years old be wiser than people who are 61 years old. And so just so you, you guys know who I'm talking to today, you guys are adults. I'm talking to a group of adults in a world that wants you guys to just consume your way through life. We are not built to consume. We are built to create. Like God has literally wired us in his image to create. So in case you're wondering how I view this, this isn't a cute little talk to, you know, some college students that are kind of kids. You guys are adults and you have callings on your life and you have serious giftings. You have serious skills and only the hungry change. And you're only going to get there to a, an intentional life by a series of healthy and intentional decisions. And I know that David believes that, or he wouldn't be in, in, investing so much of his life and his time in you guys. And just that hunger for righteousness, this hunger for a life that deeply matters. Let me, let me just paint this picture to you guys. College in many senses is caged as what? What are you going to learn? What are you going to major in? What are you going to do the rest of your life? But here's the problem, guys. Who you are matters more than what you do. I had friends that changed their major three times in college. And by the way, they still didn't pursue something that they majored in. And you'll see this as time goes on. But the reality is God shaped this guy. He's still a good friend of mine. God shaped this guy to who he was during that time. And that gave him what he needed to do, to take his next steps of obedience, of calling, of vocation. He's wildly gifted and he's living out how God designed him. So only the hungry change. And then secondly, who you are matters more than what you do. And so this hungering and thirsting for righteousness and to be a, a person that God has designed on purpose with a purpose that starts, I believe at a young age and that God has put that inside of you. But I believe the world's trying to snuff it out. Just say consume for a while, just exist for a while. My daughter's 17 years old and she is literally a professional photographer. She'll have two to five shoots on a Saturday. And she is living on purpose because she is wired to create and she knows that. She's not just gonna sit around and watch other people's photos scan through her mind on Instagram. Like she is saying, I have a gift and I better steward this and she's taking it seriously. And so I believe 
to hunger and thirst after the things of Jesus in this season of life, it will be an investment in the rest of your life. And by the way, every investment is based on delayed gratification. Mm. You can go gamble on something right now and you can make a little bit, bit of money or lose a whole lot of money, or you can invest a little bit right now that will come to maturity later on in life. And so I just want to challenge you guys to not gamble in this season, but in your hunger to invest in who you are, because it won't be a quick hit. It won't be the short game, but the long game of investing in your life in Christ, I promise you maturity pays off in the long haul. Yeah, that's good. Um, so you mentioned, hey, uh, this is a group of adults and young adults tend to get a little bit lost in church world, especially after graduating. So we got seniors in the room who are about to head off and um, it's easy to lean into a college ministry like ours on campus, but sometimes churches don't have an easy access point for for young adults there's not like a very clear next step um, but one of the points we're trying to teach today in this idea of feast is that nobody feasts alone um, that uh, there's always one more seat at the table for community um, so what encouragement would you give uh, to these students when it comes to engaging in a local church and mm -hmm. or finding community after college because i think that's a yeah. real yeah, that's good. So so let me give you guys three things first, and then let me speak directly to seniors, and let me speak directly to underclassmen and underclass women. Um, when I think about your future, there's three eyes that I want you to think about. And the first one, like David said, is no one feasts alone. Like it would be silly for me to course and curate an eight-course meal to eat by myself. Like the best moments in life I look at, I see a sunset and I say, oh, I want my wife to be here with me. I want my kids to be here with me. And it's in that beauty that we are drawn to community. And so the first I to think about is isolation. And the question around that is why are you choosing aloneness? Isolation is choosing aloneness. I'm not talking about loneliness. That's a human feeling. Every single human will feel loneliness. Like that's part of the gig. Just nobody told you. Maybe I'm the first one. That's like to be human at times you will feel alone. You could be alone in a crowd. You could be alone in a sports game. You could be alone in a family. You could be alone in a dorm. But isolation is dangerous. Dangerous. Why are you choosing aloneness is the first I. The second is intention. So isolation and then intention. And the question I have for you guys today is what steps are you taking toward your future right now? What steps are you taking toward your future right now. Guys, I was not one bit surprised that David ended up in full-time ministry because in college, he spent his best extra time basically in full-time ministry, right, David? I mean, like that yeah. was the reality. He was investing in middle school students while he was in college. He wasn't like someday when I'm grown up and get can get paid for this and do it full-time, then I'll be an adult. He took that call so seriously with intention, so isolation, what are you going to do with that? Intention, what are you going to do with that? And the third one is identity. I'm going to bring you back to this again. Who you are matters more than what you do. There's this beautiful moment in scripture when Jesus is baptized and he says to his cousin, John, will you baptize me? And of course, after resisting, he baptizes him. When he comes out of the water, it is, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. How much ministry had Jesus done up to that point? goose egg. He'd been a dude. He lived a normal life as a craftsman, as an apprentice, as a regular guy. And as he comes up out of the water, it wasn't, I'm proud of you because of what you have done. It's, I'm proud of you because you are my kid. Mm. And let that settle on you. Mm. 
that God does not love us more because of what we do. He, we are deeply and dearly loved in our identity, who we are. And out of that is what we get to do. My life verse, Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship. Like we're his craft. We're his poem. If any of you guys are artists, you know how personal your work is. I'll never forget that two-star review I got on Amazon. I don't know who M3 is out there, but she's a punk. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it, it, it hurts. Like there's hundreds of reviews I've gotten, but I remember that one because our work is so personal to us. And, and that's how personal we are to the Father. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. But the good news is that we don't just sit around and just wait for eternity someday, that we've got good works to do. We're his workmanship creating Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. And in advance doesn't mean sit around and wait and someday the world will call you an adult and you'll be, you know, real and grown up and you'll do, you know, do this for your job. Do not wait for that. So guys, those three eyes, isolation, intention, and identity, what you do with those three eyes, I believe will shape the next 10, 15, 20, 40 years of your life. Yeah, that's good. Um, so Alan, you've, you've had lots of, you've done a lot of things. You've, uh, been an ice fisherman in Antarctica. You've pastored in a church. Uh, you've uh, been a, a, an adventurer. You've uh, led trips. You've consulted leaders. You've done a lot of things. But another thing that you've done is you've written some some great books. And uh, one of those books that we had for sale here is actually sold out already. But we've got more on the way. Uh, is this book "Staying Is the New Going"? And uh, so that, that phrase, staying is the new going, is very unique. So uh, I know it's been a few years since you released that book, but tell us a little bit more about where does that title come from and why did you write that book? I found myself uh, literally across the world, at the bottom of the world in Antarctica. Then I got some time to adventure in New Zealand and climb peaks and hitchhike and stay in hostels. And these are some of the most interesting people in the world telling some of the most interesting stories. They've been everywhere. They've done everything. And they were so empty. They were so empty. And in that season, David, I found myself longing for a home, longing for a place. I had consumed the best experiences on the planet as far as I was concerned. And then I ended up spending time in Kauai. Um, and I ended up, you know, as I flew back, I remember flying back over the ocean. And I said, God, put me anywhere. Just put me in a place where I can develop a home, where I can stay, where I can grow roots. And it's as if I had to go to the bottom of the world to see that going to the bottom of the world is not going to make me complete. And so even that heart for adventure, in my mind, it was to go other places and to go forth is sort of the, the phrase that the world is saying, right? You're like flipping through Instagram, like my life sucks right now because I'm in class and somebody else is like, like white pants and they're like riding on a horse down a beach in Costa Rica. And you're like, my life sucks, <laughs> you know, or they're like climbing up a peak somewhere and you're like, glad their life's interesting. And the reality is like, that is bogus. The, the most fulfilled people that I know, they grow roots, they serve. And I'll bring this kind of in the challenge to both groups of you guys, seniors and underclassmen. Doesn't matter where you're going next. There's an opportunity for you to serve, for you to create, for you to cultivate life and community and relationships that deeply matter. I said about 
14 feet from my house last night around a fire pit, watching life and beautiful conversation unfold with these men and great friends of mine. We have people in and out of our home all the time, like David mentioned. Uh, I don't know how many I would have loved to have a counter on the side of the wall of how many strangers we've been able to you know, walk through our home and have meals. But that's one of the things we count. And whatever you count, whatever you measure matters a lot to you. And I want to continue to measure how many people we've blessed, not the things that we've consumed in life. And so we began to stay forth was the phrase, wherever you end up after this, there's opportunity, there's people who need love and who need care. And there's an opportunity for you, you to use your gifts to be able to cultivate goodness, to be able to cultivate the love of Christ wherever you go. And that's what we have done in a very normal neighborhood in the middle of Colorado Springs, um, where God placed us. And so the subtitle in that book is learning to love where God places you. And if you don't learn to be content where God places you, I don't think you can learn to receive the blessings that God has for you. Mm-hmm. Some of the greatest blessings have come um, through us continuing to serve and also in relationship being served by those around us, being elderly neighbors, friends, conversation, food, long meals. We've had coffee for the last nine years. We've drank mediocre coffee with amazing people on the corner every single Friday that school's in session. And that's how we've chosen to invest in our life. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's real good. I think, uh, you know, obviously the great commission is go and make disciples and, and, uh, Jesus says in Acts 1, you'll be my witnesses in all, in all the earth. But he says specifically first in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, that he starts with like where you are right now is where you'll be my yeah. witness. Um, and, and, and real quickly on that, too, it's really that translation is more as you are going. You mm-hmm. know, in other words, like whatever you are doing. So it isn't is go. And I'm a huge fan of foreign missions. I spend some time with Compassion International. Uh, I love what they do across the world, but it's it's as you are going, like whatever craft you are in, whatever you are amazing at, go do that as you are going, um, which also could be as you are on a walk in your neighborhood or as you are inviting or as you are practicing hospitality. So I want to make sure that Satan doesn't twist that to think world-class people are the ones that go across the world and yep. do something else. Um, but as you go, how can you make disciples? Yeah. Yeah. So what, what would you say to uh, some some students here that uh, they may, you know, we're yeah, a couple of weeks away from the end of the school year. Some of them will be heading back home, uh, live with mom and dad for the summer or uh, or not. Or maybe they're graduating. And they don't have that next step. And so they're just going to move back in for a while. And maybe it's not uh, like go make disciples. Sound, sounds very adventurous, like go into some exotic land versus they might be thinking, man, I'm stuck. Like I have to go back home. I have to go to this uh, potentially toxic place that I hate. And I just, they're count, already counting down the, the minutes to the fall. What, what would you encourage or how would you encourage students who maybe feel more stuck than empowered in their place that God has placed them? When I was 22, I had a job uh, open up to me in a nearby town uh, from the college that I was at. And I remember thinking, here's this opportunity. It's a really good one. And my parents would be proud. This is what my education was in. So it's going to make use of that ridiculous amount of money that was spent on college. And like, this would be it, right? Like this would be helpful. This would be success. This would be encouraging to my parents. And I remember turning that down right? The what I was going to do for going to Colorado with no job, 
but people who I knew would challenge me. And I, and I want to encourage some of you, you'll have the decision between what and who. And if you have that decision, I want to encourage you to choose the who. The people around us who can cultivate us, and we could be in community for is way more important than a job that you could get fired at that could become a black hole in your life. Now, does money matter? Yes. Does vocation matter? Absolutely. But when given the choice, I would encourage you to go be around the who that's going to cultivate you. And maybe that's the right job. Maybe that's the right place. Maybe that's a healthy community there. Um, and I'm so glad that my mentor who had offered me this opportunity actually said, you need to go to Colorado, don't you? He recognized that in me and I needed that. Um, a challenge for seniors, go somewhere and serve. Go somewhere and invest the best of who you are into the people around you. Like we have never in my lifetime, never in the time that I've been alive and watched people had this many gaping holes in our culture. There are needs everywhere. And I can guarantee you that we've all seen we're a hot mess during COVID. We've all seen that we're needy, that we are struggling and there's opportunity everywhere. Don't go think that opportunity is just overseas or in some urban, you know, huge urban center. There's opportunities in the hometown that you came from. And so seniors, especially go somewhere ready to invest your gifts. Like mm -hmm. if you are at this age right now in college, life is not about you anymore. Life is not about you anymore. Like we are not kids. And, and after college, like you have serious gifts that you need to invest into the world. And that's fulfilling. That, that is joyful and fulfilling. And so seniors, I just want to challenge you with that. Underclassmen, I want to challenge you with this. You're a real human. You are an adult. And to be able to act your life stage, to know that you have something to give and something to invest. And I hate when people belittle college students as sort of the, the land between. You've got maybe eight weeks this summer, 10 weeks, 12 weeks to go somewhere and invest there. And some of you need to go make a whole bunch of money so that you can go invest after that. And you need to put your head down and faithfulness will look like you making money and living with your folks and then coming back and being able to do what God's called you to do. For some of you, it will look like investing in kids and camps this summer. For some of you, it'll look like going somewhere else, doing something you don't really want to do. But to ask Lord, what does faithfulness look like for this summer and this season? Because you won't get summers the rest of your life. I mean, short of a miracle, you won't be taking eight, 10, 12 weeks off the rest of your life. And, and I love that Mumf those Mumford and Son lyrics, where you invest your love, you invest your life. And you've got opportunities to invest um, in places right now. Don't, don't waste it. Yeah, that's, that's real good. Um, you, one of the things I love uh, that you've always talked about is redeeming spaces and sort of this like theology of location that we've, we, we tend to, uh, we don't think of the spiritual side of like specific places. Uh, but uh, I'm just, I didn't ask you this ahead of time, but like, can you think of like any examples of like how you see redemption of space being an important step in our, our lives that like a physical location actually has something to do with what God's doing in your life as well? Yeah. So um, I found myself in Colorado Springs, which is not seen as a world-class city. Everybody would say, go to Denver, go to Austin, go to Seattle, go to Portland, go to New York City, go to LA, like go to places where the wheels are already 
spinning. And David knows this city and it's beautiful and it's great, but it's funky and it's weird and there's challenges. And, and sort of the downtown was sort of hollowed out when we came here and there were not tons of cool and hip places uh, like there are now. And there was a group of us, David, I would say 12 to 14 of us who had opportunities to go somewhere else, but we actually chose to stay where we were at. And then there was a group of people that went off to other places thinking the grass is greener on the other side and thinking we're going to go to a city where the wheels are already spinning and turning and it's already cool and it's already hip and there's already downtown community, whatever they were drawn to. But an intentional group of us that stayed and many of us are in different vocations than we were, but we now have opportunity to influence this city in ways we did not. And a lot of that is happening in physical spaces. I've run a co-working space before. We had almost 100 businesses a week that would meet in the space. And that space always leads to relationship. The redeeming of space, the redeeming of a downtown that honestly was not that cool. And people would find themselves you know, driving or flying to other cooler places. Um, but when you invest the best of who you are into physical places and spaces, it's amazing how that changes and reflects in the city. Even each time I come to Lexington, there's something new. Right? There's a new place to eat at. There's a new place to go. There's a place that used to be a warehouse and now is this beautiful place to, to go eat or connect with people. Um, and I would just not forget that um, where we go, um, God wants us to be part of, like Jeremiah 29 states, uh, to work for the welfare of the city where I have placed you. And part of the welfare is going to be physically that space. Uh, for us, our physical space is an elementary school next door and our house from the 60s that wasn't cool or hip, um, but God placed us there physically around other people. Um, and it's been beautiful to, to watch. I also go right in a beautiful space that my friends have cultivated every single Friday. And it inspires me and I come alive in that place um, because they had the vision to be able to build a beautiful space that is uh, consecrated, designated, um, dedicated to the goodness of God, the creation, um, and the inspiration for people. Yeah, yeah, I love that. So um, you, you've talked about community a little bit. Let's let's lean into that a little bit. This this idea of feasting together. You're a guy who values hospitality. Like like we said, you you've probably opened your home to thousands of people over the years. Uh, you've adopted a few kids. You let people live with you. You're hosting dinners. Um, what what drives this for you? Because I, I don't think anyone would argue that uh, relationships are more important than other things. And I think ideally, like we'd all say, like, man, I love the idea of that. But practically, it's like it's a lot easier to get home, throw something in the microwave and turn Netflix on. Uh, but you, you always fight that and you keep making space even with four kids. I mean, it's not that you have all this extra time that we don't have. Um, so what, what keeps you going back to that? What, why is that such a great value? And how do you, how do you keep that as a really important value in your life and your family? Yeah, I think about how it feels to be invited into a dinner or into a space that I have no business being in. I've been in rooms before and say, how did I, how did I get into this room? How did I get to spend time with this person? How do I get to sit at this banquet next to this person and this person over here? Like, I'm a nobody. Why did I get into this room? And that's what all of us feel. Like, that's what every single person feels is like, how did I get invited into this space? And to me, we have to remember where we've come from. Like, we have to remember that feeling. My wife and I 
had this opportunity. We love Chef's Table on Netflix, which is basically like for people that like taking pictures of their food, I'll just watch that over and over again. Yes, I'm guilty, man. I'll be like portrait moding those tacos and be like, those are just gorgeous. Like, oh, it's like, are you crying? Are you tearing? Don't worry about it. Okay, those tacos are beautiful. And I just, I love being at the table with people, but I remember what was it like to be invited into that room or into that space or into that meeting that I had no business being invited into. And David, I think when we stay focused on that, we remember that is the gospel that happens at a table. Think about Jesus who sat with Judas at a table before he was about to be both denied and then taken on um, to his oppressors. I think about sitting at a table with people who we laugh and we have the best memories of. I sat the night before we were married with some of our best friends to thank them for their investment in us. I think about communion. We sit at a table. The best things in life, I believe, happen at tables, either physically or metaphorically. And there's this moment, David, that I always remember Jesus is... uh, is, is sitting on a beach. Like I almost tear up thinking about it. Jesus is sitting on a beach and the disciples have been out fishing their fishermen and um, they've gotten skunked, goose eggs, zero fish all night. And he says to them, children, have you caught any fish? He knows they haven't. He's kind of belittling them a little bit, it, it seems. And then he says, hey, great idea. Throw the nets on the other side. Well, they catch 153 fish, not bad for a moment. They bring it in the boat and then they realize there's this guy on the beach. They don't know it's Jesus. Peter figures out it's Jesus. He jumps in the water and they they head. It's about 100 yards offshore. They head into the beach and Jesus had loaves and fishes waiting for them and a fire pre-cooked, coals ready to cook them breakfast on the beach. And some people believe they're not worthy of breakfast on the beach from the Father. And I would just want to say, if your hands aren't out to receive, that you're just so busy serving and doing in the what matters so much more, we will not receive the goodness that God has for us. Breakfast on the beach. By the way, it was the same miracle, the same food, the loaves and fishes that will be multiplied, and they took baskets home with them. They all had leftovers. It was like, David, here, take this to Nicole and the kids, you know, just to remind them of the miracle here. Heat it back up. Goes well in the microwave. There's loaves and fishes, a, a gift that keeps on giving. I just want you to know there's extras. God had done the miracle through them, but this meal was for them. Yeah. And I want you guys to soak those two things in, is that there are opportunities for you that God will do ministry through you. God wants to do things through you. God also wants to give gifts to you. Guys, breakfast on the beach was not a miracle that God wanted to do through them. It was a gift that God wanted to give them to hold in their hands. Mm. And one of the things that grieves me most in scripture is that Judas killed himself before he could receive the gift and the joy relationship of breakfast on the beach with Jesus. Like that deeply grieves me to think about that in that moment saying, I love you guys. Let me just remind you, I don't love you because what you've done with me or for me or through you, it's because I love you and having hands out and ready to receive. That's good. That's good. Actually, our uh, our main speaker earlier uh, referenced that same story of Jesus having this meal prepared already for them. And that, so I love that you brought it back and just like this sweet reminder of what the Lord's doing. And I love that breakfast on the beach with the father. Sounds like a great title to an album as well. So <laughs> uh, anyone's ready to release that. Um, 
so, uh, you know, with Stay Forth Designs, uh, you know, right behind you, you do a lot of uh, talking to leaders in different, uh, different fields and ministry in the business world all over the world. Um, so just kind of leaning into the leadership side, um, what, what questions are the best leaders asking right now? I, I think about this group of students and they're already leading in unique ways. And some of them are going to be leading in extraordinary ways in the next few years and whatever field they go into. So um, what are what are some questions our college students should be asking now as they think about being Christian leaders in their field? Mm. Man, I love that you asked this, David, because guys, the reality is questions in life will shape us more than answers ever will. The leaders I see winning today are the ones asking themselves the best questions. So I'm going to give you four questions. Know that I am a literal professional question asker. Like that is what I do, um, whether it's on the podcast or as a coach. Like that's my job is to ask people questions that will mess with them when they are asleep or not asleep, right? So if people wake up and like, ah, oh, Alan, I, I couldn't sleep last night. I'm like, you're welcome, right? Like that is the gift that I bring or questions that will mess with you. I've ended many sermons with a question at the end. Just one question instead of six points or whatever it is. And so I want to give you four questions that I see the best leaders today asking. Number one, what should I eliminate? What should I eliminate? Guys, we are in a culture of excess. This is Merca. We believe more is more, but the reality is less is more. The older I get, I want a few things that deeply matter. Like I would rather spend money on one meal, one feast with my wife or with my family than I would on 15 meals at Chipotle. And so I, I do believe we have to ask, what should I eliminate? Like, what should I get rid of? And then this culture of excess with this lie, more is more. Right? Collect more, consume more, do more. That's going to lead you to overwhelm and burnout. The second question, uh, and, and actually, by the way, guys, the answer is, is not between good and bad most times, but it's between good and best. This thing is good, but is this best? I could stay up and read these 16 books right now all night, but you know what's best is probably me being exhausted. I should probably go to bed. Is this best? What is best right now? So what should I eliminate? The second question is what season is it? What season is it? Wise and healthy leaders understand what season it is. Farmers understand what season it is. And I believe that college is a season of planting, like planting seeds in the ground that will continue to grow. What seeds are you planting right now? Like if you are planting seeds of deception, if you are planting seeds of your image mattering more than your identity, if you are planting seeds of pursuing and chasing and striving, then you will get the fruit of that down the line. It's just how life works. What should I eliminate? Number one, what season is it? Number three, what is the role of money? What is the role of money in life? My college roommate just sold his company for over $20 million. And we're on the phone. And the question that I ask him is, so what? So what does that matter? I mean, at 38 years old, it's not like he's going to retire and not work for the rest of his life. He'd be miserable. I have another friend who just sold his company for $88 million. So what's... What's the role of money? At some point, you have enough. And a mentor of mine says, in life, the opposite of poor is not rich. It is enough. And so what is the role of money in your life? Some of you are well positioned to make a whole lot of money in life. But guess what? Most of the rich people I know are very poor 
inside, don't know what to invest in. Maybe they've worked themselves to the bone and they don't know what to give their own best time to. They haven't served. So what is the role of money in your life? Because for me, the role of money is God giving us enough so I can do what God has called me to do with the time that he's given me. But you're going to have to figure that out. What should I eliminate? What season is it? What is the role of money? And this one I think is really important. This last question, what is my next step? What is my next step? I see a whole culture of people who are paralyzed by trying to take their next 20 steps. Guys, don't try, try to boil the ocean. Just do your next right thing. Just do your next right thing. For some of you, that's going home for the summer, working your tail off and making a lot of money. For others, that's going to care for your family and being around your family and your relatives. For others, that's to go to a camp this summer and invest your life in kids. For some of you, that's to do your homework and to finish this semester well. Like I can't answer that for you, but what's your next right step? Guys, paralysis gets in the way of obedience. Just do your next right thing. I've probably texted that to you before, David. Is that question in, in a text? Well, so what's next? What's your next right step? I don't need to know what your next six steps are. What is your next right step? And just do that. That is adventure right there. I was working my way down a mountain this week with there are pockets of 10 to 20 feet of snow that you can fall into. I mean, literally, like that's how some people die on mountains. And so we got up to the mountain. It was completely fogged in, but I could see about 50 feet ahead of me. And so what we did is we zigzagged our way down the mountain. It wasn't blue skies and go, oh, there's the car over there. We're going to hike a few miles to get there. We went 50 feet at a time. We made our next right step, then our next one, then our next one. And guess what? We found our way down the mountain. Don't try to boil the ocean. Just do your next right thing. That's good. That's good. Um, Alan, one of the things uh, you keep mentioning is uh, your mentor. Like my mentor said this, my mentor said that. Uh, you're, you're someone who's mentoring. I mean, you've mentored me, you've mentored a lot of great leaders. Um, can you speak to mentorship a little bit? I think that's something that a lot of college students are asking and wondering, what do I look for in a mentor? What, what, what makes a good mentor mentee relationship? Um, what, what are some of those qualities that I, that I should be looking for and how do I pursue that? So, uh, uh, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Who do you want to be someday? and find somebody that's already living that out, just very simply. Who do you wanna be someday? And if there's somebody that's an amazing mom or an amazing dad, or they're good with their finances or they're disciplined or they're wise or they make good decisions, then go ask them questions. And, and there's this idea, and I say my mentor, it's really one of my, I have many mentors because nobody's good at all the things. I would encourage you to not go to somebody and say, hey, will you mentor me? Because the wisest people in life don't believe they're the wisest people in life. The wisest people in life are like, oh, what do I have to offer? And I could speak to so many women and men who have been a mentor to me, but I just keep going and asking them questions. I just say, hey, do you have 30 minutes? And I can ask you these four or five questions. Guys, I want to be the best investment around them. I want to be in those 30 minutes say, hey, I'm not going to bother you much. I know your time is worth a whole lot of money, but... I have these four questions. Would you mind giving me 30 minutes? And they may say, hey, I don't have 30 minutes, but I'm going to email you back the answers to these questions. Rarely are they going to just not answer me back or say no, but they may not give me what I'm looking for. So I just want to challenge you to say, 
who do I want to be someday? And then how do I go get information from them? How do I ask them questions? How do I show them that I'm hungry? Are you a good investment? If you say, hey, I'd love to spend time with you. And they say, man, I'd love to buy you coffee. Are you going to show up 15 minutes early? Are you going to have the right questions dialed in? Or are you going to be a bad investment for them? And so that's always my goal, David, is how do I be the best investment relationally that they have ever had? I'm going to send them a note afterwards. I'm going to thank them. I'm going to send them a ridiculous pair of socks, probably pink with donuts on them. I don't know. But I'm going to afterwards send them something to say, thank you for investing your life in me. You could be doing a whole lot of things right now. It's pretty simple, but just figure out who do I want to be someday? Who do I admire? Why do I admire them? And then ask them questions in terms of how to get there. That's a good word. Well, I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to open it up to uh, the audience to ask any questions that you have for Alan. And he, uh, I feel like you, you, you've got a, uh, a bit of an experience all over the place. So uh, yeah, feel free to ask him anything, even about uh, mountaineering and uh, adventures as well. So questions, anybody want to come? Deshaun, you want to come? Tacos. Um, Tacos. Yes. I know you're big, open. Yeah. yeah. Come on up here. Oh, how you doing, Alan? I've hey, been, man. I've been wanting to say this all the time. I've been waiting for it. So, um, like, I, I did, I've uh, been uh, thinking about plan, think about what my plans are after college, and I really had no idea, and I've already known for what I'm going to do, but I just don't know for what the future would, would bring. So, mm -hmm. and I did have uh, blessings come, that came to me um, from God, and I just thank God. And so, oh, what was I going to ask? Like, <laughs> now, uh, now uh, I've been reading two scriptures uh, that are based on for what you were talking about. And the first scripture was uh, Jeremiah 29, verse 11, and um, the book of Jonah. And so verse 29, verse 11, that tells about for what God has plans, that God has a plan for you in the future. And from Jonah, for what God told him to go do, because he had a plan for Jonah, he told him to go out into the city of Nineveh and preach to the people. But instead, Jonah went his own way and he got swallowed by the big fish. And so this is kind of referring to what I'm trying to do. Uh, like I've already known for what my plans are after college, which I, I don't really have to tell you what it is. Yeah, what's but, your uh, question? What's your question, man? Uh, <laughs> my question then. Well, okay, as I said, I did, I was I'm, I might have an internship with uh, Disney this summer from June to uh, August. And I'm not sure if they pay or not, but I really need money to, to pay my rent and pay the bills. All right, let's shoot him a question. What, 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 what question can we give him? <laughs> you know, like how to make the decisions? Is that where you're getting to? Like yes. if, it's, if it's the right, if it, how you know it's God's will, is that where you're going? Yes. All right. How's that, Alan? Like, how do you know, how do you discern yeah. the right next step for you in, in this next season? Let me get really practical. What's your name again? 
My name is Deshaun. Deshaun. Um, let me get really practical. Um, there's a lot of lights in a city, but when you're coming in, even for me, who's not a pilot, I know that there are runway lights that line up and I can say, oh, that's where we're heading. So it's not just that one thing is there, but do different things line up? Have you prayed about it and you're hearing from the Lord? Do you see in scripture things that confirm that? You talk to other people, wise counsel that say that. We have to be really careful not just to take one thing and be like, God put a verse in there uh, and it was about vision and Disney has vision. So that means I'm supposed to go with Disney. You know, like we do that a lot or like wise counsel. We go to one person. They're like, absolutely, you should do this. Are we looking for the things that line up with who God's made you to be and what God has put in you? with gifts, vision, desire, and passions. And sometimes you may just sit down with a piece of paper and say, why to do this or why not to do this? And I just want to encourage all of you guys listening and you too, Deshaun, God is a practical God. God is a practical God. God has met practical needs in my life. We need a house to live in. It's really cold outside. And God has practically met our needs. And so to just sit down, to take some time to see those runway lights line up and just say, it seems like this is my next step, or maybe that why and that why not. And you say, maybe that's good, but it's not best. And so I would encourage you guys to pray that prayer, not between good and bad. You're going to have a ton of good opportunities. By the way, the more successful you, you guys are in life, the more opportunities will come your way. But I like walking in Chipotle because there's not too many decisions. It's really simple. It's like, boom, boom, boom. Okay, cool. Got it. Not good versus bad, but good versus best. Is this best for this season and do the runway lights line up? That's good. Thanks, Deshaun. Appreciate you. Uh, other questions? Uh, yeah, come on up. Also, uh, I love that there's been multiple Chipotle references in this. This is why we're friends. Yes. Yes. Hey, let, let's just be real. It's good. It, it just may not be best, right? I'll take an eight-course feast, but man, Chipotle... <laughs> Solid. Um, so my question was just when you're looking at internships and when you're going and traveling, like for me, I'll be living in Ohio. Um, how would you go about seeking out that community for the soccer? Cause it's just for, let's say three months. Um, mm -hmm. How would you go about first seeking out that Christian community, uh, yeah. finding a church, finding people to build into? Sure. Yeah. What's your name, man? Andrew. Andrew. Great question. Uh, it's really hard. I mean, it's really hard to go someplace for a short season. I would encourage you to go someplace and serve. And I think that that probably is true for everybody uh, within here. So I had an internship that was back in a place and I was actually doing ministry with high school students. And I found myself having good conversations with their parents. And I found myself serving their kids, but then being served by them whether they were giving me Chipotle gift cards, whether they were investing in me in long conversations. And I just thought like, this is the opposite of college, right? I wasn't like, oh man, if I could go for the summer and be invested in by 40 year old parents, that would be awesome. Like that wasn't what I was thinking, but that's exactly what I needed. This family loved me by letting me live in their basement and I would have meals with them and I would learn about them as parents. And as I was investing in their kids, they were investing in me. And there was a bit of a loneliness in that season about being away from kids my age. And yet it was exactly what I needed 
in that. But I think without serving, I wouldn't have found myself being invested in. And so often I find that that's true. And often like when I begin mentoring, serving other people, then other people see that and begin to serve and mentor us. And it's just kind of how God has built it, I think, in the fabric of who we are. So I don't know what the internship is. All of you guys listening and watching, I would say the same. Go somewhere and invest and serve deeply. And then often that leads to what I call backdoor community, not front door community that we go in and say, how can I find people? But backdoor community, that's like we find ourselves in living rooms. We find ourselves being invested in. And you may go somewhere that won't have a cool church. Uh, and just go and let yourself be invested in by like old ladies with purple hair and by dudes that you wouldn't normally like go hang out with, but just have uh, having opportunities to be invested in as well often comes through serving other people first. So that's what I would say, man, at first blush. Thank you. Yeah. Best of luck, man. Anybody else questions for Alan? Yeah. Colton, come on up. Hey, Alan. My name is Colton. Um, Colton, what's up? Hey. So, like, right as you started, you were talking about how only the hungry can change. And we've been talking a lot about hunger in Matthew 5 6. Um, I'm a guy who's been really struggling with like motivation and hunger and uh, complacency recently. So, what are some steps to kind of develop that? Have you ever struggled with complacency and what kind of helped you in those seasons? Hmm. Yeah. Um, the answer is yes. I think we all do at different times. Yeah. There's this quote the, by a saint, St. Teresa of Avila. And she said, God, I don't want you, but I want to want you. And for whatever reason, we discounted that want to want you. And we tend to think like, man, it's really spiritual to want God, to, to have that deep hunger. But what, what about when we're not feeling it? And that's where I believe obedience really matters to take our next right step. We're a culture that value, deeply values emotion. And we've oversold emotion, I believe. We've undersold obedience. And that's when I believe the true seasons of obedience. Like for me, when it's when it's supposed to be spring and it's 20 degrees outside and I'm just like, Oh, but like I have the choice to wake up and take my next right step. And we just don't believe that obedience matters all that much. And so like, I would invite you to pray and all of you guys to invite you to pray the prayer that God right now, for whatever reason, I don't want you. Like, I don't want to wake up and pray and have you direct my steps. I don't want to have time in scripture. Like I don't want to, obey you. Like, I don't want to whatever, turn off my screen when I know that's not going to be good for me. Like, I don't want to, whatever that is. Like, I don't want you God, but I want to want you in that. And I believe he honors that, right? Like God honors honesty when we come before him with that. And just to say like, man, I think it's how life is. Like there's certain seasons when you're feeling it and there's certain seasons when you aren't. And there's times when I show up to work out and my body's like, yeah, I want to work out. This sounds fun. The endorphins are rolling. And there are times been like, I hate you. Why would you make me work out? Right. That's just how it is. And so I just think like, let's call it that we're not always feeling it. And I believe the true mark of obedience is do we continue to do things when we're not feeling it? Because we're always like, oh man, if I'm not feeling it, like, I don't want to, I don't want to pretend, or I just don't want to do this out of ritual. And it's like, 
well, what if I told my kids that? Like, yeah, I don't want to wake up. I know you're like a little girl, but, and you peed the bed, but I don't know. I just don't want to. Like so much of life is literally like do what God has called you to do. And if you're not feeling it, invite him to stoke that hunger again in your own life. Thanks. That's good. Press on, man. Thanks for being honest. Yeah. All right. Uh, we are just out of time. Alan, uh, final thoughts uh, for a group of college students uh, spending 12 hours of their Saturday to pursue the Lord. Any, uh, any closing? Yeah. If you say this is my one thing I want to say to college students before we go. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm going to pray over you guys uh, in a second. The, the old the old Zoom prayer over you guys in, in just a moment. Um, you are adults. Take yourselves more seriously than the world appears to take you guys right now. I want to give you three pictures of how college students shaped me, and then I want to pray over you guys to some bit of that third picture. I grew up in a college town, and I would go to the football games with my dad and brother. And my earliest look at college students and the images burned in my brain, I could still see it. And I, I think I was probably seven years old were drunk college kids being carried out at the game. I remember this one, this dude was puking on himself. And at seven years old, I was just like, is this like, is this what college is? Like as a seven-year-old, I'm like, okay, that's, that's college. Well, then as I was in high school, I was invested in by some incredible college students. They poured their life into me. And I looked back and was like, man, like what kind of college students on a Friday night say, man, why don't you just come over to our house? This is not a joke. They had a refugee from another city who had been, or from another country who had been pursued by his life, who they sheltered in their attic, in their kind of looked like a frat house. And they were just like, man, like this guy's being pursued and is literally like, we're going to shelter him for all like, like talk about justice work. And they would invite me in and they would be, I'd, I'd watch them praying for one another. And it was just completely different. There was no macho there. And I was like, that is what I want my college career to be like. And then the third picture is when I was actually in college, my roommate and I said, what if we actually invested in these other guys? What, what if we actually were known for being more than just the people that had a good time? We had a blast and yeah, we did stupid stuff and, you know, bad decisions and glad I'm still alive and like all that, all that stuff. We made mistakes. I'm not going to say that we were, we were perfect. David, I'm sure knows some stories that have been. Later, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, but we dedicated those years to the who, like to developing who God had made us to be and investing that into guys one, two, three years younger than us. And I believe that God honored it. And so a tale of three college students, I choose to believe that second and third narrative. And so the question is for you guys, what is the story you guys are going to live? Because guys, the best story wins. Mm -hmm. I had a choice when I went to college to say, okay, am I going to be that dude puking all over myself who's being carried out of a football game and, you know, doesn't even make sense what he's saying that I pictured as a seven-year-old, or I'm going to be the one on Friday nights that's giving up my best time to invest in little high school punks like myself, because they have a calling on their life. And I chose that one because guys, the best story always wins. Yeah. And by the way, many times the best story happens at a table when we are having a feast. And I just want to remind you guys of this. It's always better to host the feast than just to come and consume the food. 
Don't tell anybody we've ever had at any course dinner, but it's way more fun for us to watch and be part of than it is for them to enjoy and consume. And so I just want to pray that prayer over you guys in a culture. It's inviting you to still be kids and it's inviting you to still consume. And it's inviting you to say more, more, more. You would actually say who I am matters more than what I do. And I am wired to create. I'm wired to serve. I'm wired to take the gifts that God has given you that are world-class, that you are unbelievable at, and go invest them in a world that needs it right now. And so I'm going to pray and kind of have my hands on you that like rabbis used to put their hands on um, people as a sign um, that, hey, I'm with you. I'm present with you, right? It's not lost to me. We haven't been able to touch or be within six feet uh, of people. And so I'm going to, you know, as if my hand is on your shoulder, Um, to say I'm with you here. And so some of you, you need to receive. So hands open like this, palms up and just say, man, I feel empty. I need to receive. Some of you have too much in and kind of a palms down prayer. You got too much crap in your hands that you're trying to hold. You need to put down like you're carrying in 20 bags from the grocery store and you just have too much in your hands. So some of you palms up, some of you palms down. I'm going to have palms out praying over you guys. God, I thank you for these men and women who have a calling on their life. God, I pray that they would, they would be known more for how they serve, for who they are investing into other people, more than just what they do the rest of their lives. God, we are your workmanship. And I would pray for those with palms open that you would fill their hands with your good blessings, God. Would you remind them that you love them for who they are, not what they do? Would you remind them that you've given them much? and they will invest much back into other people. God, for those with hands pointed down that need to drop things, God, would you allow them to eliminate things from their lives? God, whether it is sin, whether it is issues, whether they are carrying way too much, whether it is stress, anxiety, pressure, overwhelm, they're feeling burned out or exhausted or underwhelmed at life at the moment, God, would you allow them to release those things? to be reminded that they are pursued by you. God, a hound of heaven who comes chasing after us. God, we love you. And for some in this room, deeply want you and hunger for you and others want to want you. As we pray that prayer of St. Teresa of Avila, God, sometimes I don't want you, but God, I want to want you. And I pray that over these students. God, thank you for David, for Nicole, for their leadership and the incredible calling you placed on their lives. And all of God's people said, Amen. 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 Great to be with you guys today. Ah. Hopefully we'll hang out in person sometime. Awesome. Alan, thanks so much. Really appreciate you investing in our students. And uh, and next time I'm in uh, the Springs, pieces on me. All right. I'll take I'll, I'll take you uh, to my best of places and I'll make sure you pay the bill. So love you, bro. <laughs> Great. See you, man. See you guys.